Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann. Today on the podcast, problem-based teaching. How do we prepare students for a world that's changing so rapidly that a majority of those sitting in classrooms today will go on to hold jobs that don't yet exist using technologies that haven't yet been invented to solve problems we don't yet know are problems yet? Author Vicki Vinton says the answer is to help build students' capacities as critical and creative thinkers by shifting to a problem-based approach for teaching reading. In her new book, Dynamic Teaching for Deeper Reading, Vicki connects the practices in the book to all sorts of current thinking and trends. I recently sat down with Vicki to talk about her work. We started our conversation on what she sees as the need for a problem-based approach. Problem-based teaching and learning is actually something that's been around for a while. I think it's taken hold in STEM classrooms. It's been a while there in, in math classrooms for quite some time. But... I think the concept of it actually goes all the way back to Dewey. Um, and, and Dewey once said, give the students something to do, not something to learn. And if the doing is such a nature to demand thinking, learning naturally results. And so the idea there is, um, is to, if we move away from um, teaching kids to learn a strategy, a skill, literary elements, text structures, but instead, give them opportunities to figure things out, like a problem. Um, and I think that every text, the biggest problem it poses is what is the writer trying to um, show me about people and life and, and human nature. Um, that that's kind of the, the core of the idea. I think that there's all kinds of problems. A problem exists anytime a writer says something implicitly instead of explicitly. And that could be from the, you know, what, what the antecedent of a pronoun is, which is kid, trips kids up lots. They lose track of who's saying who, well, you know, what, what's going on, um, to where something has taken place, to how characters are feeling. Um, all that are, in effect, problems to solve. Why did the writer choose to write it this way? What are they actually trying to tell us? And so I think we can set kids up in specific ways to try to solve those kinds of problems in ways that also tap into the whole notion of productive struggle, which I think, again, has taken root more in math than it has in literacy, beyond just suffering through exceedingly complex texts um, with grit. Does the Common Core approach to complex texts really prepare students for, the com for our complex world? Yeah. That's something that I really talk a lot about in the book. <laughs> um, and, oh, to be blunt, I would say I don't think so. Mm. 
And I'm not sure whether it's the Common Core standards themselves or sort of, you know, the work that's come out, the thinking that's come out around the standards, um, beginning with maybe the six, the, the three or the six shifts of the Common Core standards, which are very focused on students learning content knowledge and building academic vocabulary. I would say, and I've, I've got some, um, I, I share some facts from a fascinating video in the book that, um, that show that human knowledge is doubling at just such an incredible speed that it's absurd to think that we can know everything. Um, in fact, let's say 1900 new human knowledge doubled every 100 years, and um, by 2020, it's going to be doubling every 12 hours. Right now, it's doubling every 12 months. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we're spending time to teach kids content knowledge mm -hmm. seems a little odd. And, and also, um, the same video shares that we're currently preparing kids um, for, for jobs that don't yet exist using technologies that haven't yet been invented um, to solve problems we don't even know are problems yet. So I'm not sure content knowledge and vocabulary, while important, I'm not suggesting they're not important, but I think to develop kids' um, capacity as problem solvers, as critical and creative thinkers, as innovators, is ultimately going to be more important because no one can wrap their mind around that kind of content. I'd like to go back to feedback a little bit because mm. sometimes we get into a place where we think we're giving good feedback, right. but right. maybe we're not. How can we examine our feedback and be better at it? Somebody, I think his name is uh, Dylan Will Williams. I hope I have this correct. Um, and he talks about the difference between feedback being a post-mortem versus kind of a medical checkup, right? And the feedback that comes after everything is done, that's the post-mortem. So I think we need to be talking to kids as they're in the process of making meaning, solving problems, and figuring things out. And I think the best feedback we might be able to offer kids um, is just notice and naming what they're doing. Um, oh. I see you're doing this. You know, you figured out who the first person narrator is. Um, can, are there other things that you think you might need to figure out? Um, mm, I see that you've been wondering, you've been thinking about this. Um, have you developed any theories? So to, to begin with just notice and naming what they are doing, um, I think helps them see that the work they're doing now is um, applicable and transferable to work in every text. Um, and that, again, I think I offer some things that you can notice and name mm -hmm. um, when you're talking with students to reinforce that. You have a feature in the book that identifies core practices. One of the things that a problem-based approach does kind of demand of teachers um, is that they're able to, to think in the moment, right? Because it's not a scripted program. However, there are common practices that are kind of the same no matter, no matter what you're reading, what grade you're teaching. Um, things like um, some suggestions on how to choose a text, what makes a good text, um, how to assess how complex a text is, um, how to chunk a text, also in terms of how to, how to create purposeful turn and talks. 
um, how to create um, low-risk uh, writing prompts that get kids thinking. They should mm -hmm. not be graded. <laughs> just um, get kids to, to think on paper just the same way we want them to learn how to think by um, talking and having conversations with each other. Mm -hmm. So I think those practices are really something to hold on to and to remember that you know, they are useful all the time. Another feature in the book are the six considering complexity chapter interludes. What is the purpose of these fe of this feature, mm. and how is it meant to help readers? Mm. So, um, when I started imagining this book, um, one of the things that I knew I was was facing is that many teachers were eager to do some of the work that had appeared in in what readers really do, and this book is certainly an outgrowth of, of that. Um, but they didn't always have resources, right? And so uh, what I wanted to do in those sections was to, to think about other kinds of problems that weren't covered in the chapter. And if you want to dig into this, either whole class, small group, or share it with, uh, with a student in a conference on one-on-one, -on -one, that, um, that you'd have some pointers and resources to go to. So some lists of texts, and for instance, um, one of the things kids struggle oftentimes figuring out is um, what, what does the figurative language actually, what's, what's the writer doing with figurative language? What does that figurative language actually mean? And to do that, you need some texts that have great examples of figurative language. And so I've kind of compiled a list um, at different levels for different grades. Mm -hmm. Uh, of texts that are good to set kids up to think about, well, here's this figurative language. What mm -hmm. in the greater scope of things do we think it means? Why is the writer, you know, um, why is the writer saying things this way? What does it actually mean? Mm -hmm. So all those features are, are just offer some few tips and very specifically resources. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the biggest challenge teachers might face in adopting a problem-based approach? Um, at some point on a blog post, I called this the elephant in the room. <laughs> I think the elephant in the room is the fact that um, many of us, including me, can be fearful of losing control, right? particularly in a classroom when you've got anywhere from you know 15 to 40 kids in a room. Um, you're kind of opening the door in this approach to um, divergent thinking, to thinking that might have to undergo a process. It's not really answer-driven, it's thinking-driven. And that means, um, that does mean that you have to um, be willing to be vulnerable. And I have to say, I'm here at, talking with you now at NCTE, <laughs> and one of the things that I've noticed from the sessions I've gone is the word vulnerability keeps cropping up across sessions. So we have to be willing to kind of open the door to kids' thinking, and we have to trust that the process will work itself out. Mm -hmm. But doing it first is, um, can be a little scary, and I just want to acknowledge that. How's the landscape for the teaching of reading changed since you wrote What Readers Really Do? <laughs> this is where we see how things changing are changing so fast. When uh, Dorothy Barnhouse and I started writing What Readers Really Do, I think the, the common core standards was um, 
uh, I think maybe it was more than a, a glimmer in its parents' eyes, but <laughs> I think really it hadn't come out yet. Um, so that we've gone through this wave of having everybody's thinking kind of have to sw shift to adjust to the Common Core, which in some ways has narrowed the way we think about teaching reading as it's become about meeting um, particular standards. And now it seems to me as, as there's been pushback on the Common Core and the fate of the Common Core right now is a little uncertain. Um, we're seeing certain pendulums swing back again. Um, and one that I love that, I, that actually has come out since I've written the book, um, there's a new kind of call to action report that came out from a group. Um, I'm not gonna remember the name of the group, but it's, it, it's called what, Matter, what Matters Now. And Linda Darling Hammond is involved in this group. And, and they're really talking about creating a new compact around teaching and learning where the teacher is not so much the deliverer of information or the modeler of strategies, but the teacher is a learning designer who creates opportunities for kids to think and learn. Mm. And that's very much what this book is about. And I think, I think we're seeing the desire for that as we see that we're not always getting where we want to be through data-driven accountability measures. It's just not dynamic mm -hmm. enough. And it's too focused on answers, not thinking. My thanks to Vicki Vinton. That's all the time we have for today. You can learn more about her new book, Dynamic Teaching for Deeper Reading, Shifting to a Problem-Based Approach, by checking out the Heinemann website where you can read a sample chapter and blogs on the book, including a link to Vicki's website. All that and more on Heinemann.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And don't forget to download the Heinemann Teacher Tip app where you can get a tip every day right on your phone in your pocket. Thanks for listening.